Our scripture reading this morning is from 2 Corinthians chapter 13. It's on page 1807 of the Bibles in the pews. And this is the end of Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. We've been working our way through this uh, letter of 2 Corinthians, this letter that Paul writes to the church in Corinth for uh, pretty much the whole summer. Um, And it's been a pretty exciting journey. Um, I've had, we, all of us, all three of us have had uh, a number of you come up to us and say how much this series has spoken to you. Um, I had one person uh, tell me that for the first time in their life, they thought that Paul was kind of an okay guy. (laughs) Um, But this letter has been very moving, um, and we've seen that throughout. Uh, This is a letter where Paul pours out his love, where Paul passionately defends the power of the gospel to transform people's lives. And he's saying this to the church in Corinth, which if you read 1 Corinthians, you know that's saying something, um, that that God can transform even even these um, into the image of Jesus Christ. So today we come to the conclusion. We read the end of this letter. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, page 1807. Paul writes to the church in Corinth, This will be my third visit to you. Every matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. I already gave you a warning when I was with you the second time. I now repeat it while absent. On my return, I will not spare those who sinned earlier or any of the others, since you are demanding proof that Christ is speaking through me. He is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For to be sure, he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by God's power. Likewise, we are weak in him, yet by God's power, we will live with him to serve you. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. And I trust that you will discover that we have not failed the test. Now we pray to God that you will not do anything wrong. Not that people will see that we have stood the test, but that you will do what is right, even though we may seem to have failed. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. We are glad whenever we are weak, but you are strong, and our prayer is for your perfection. This is why I write these things when I am absent, so that when I come, I may not have to be harsh in my use of authority, the authority the Lord gave me for building you up, not for tearing you down. Finally, brothers, goodbye. Aim for perfection. Listen to my appeal. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints send their greetings. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And I feel like the appropriate response to that is that all God's people say, 
Amen. This is the end of Paul's letter to the Corinthians. This encouragement to examine themselves together with the assurance that they will pass the test because Christ lives in them. These final words and then this prayer in verse 14. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. This is Paul's last words to the church in Corinth. In this chapter, we see a lot of the same themes that we've seen throughout the whole letter. Paul pours out his love and his concern for the church, a church that has caused him suffering, a church that's caused him pain, a church that's caused him anxiety, but a church that he will never give up on because he sees the Holy Spirit of God working powerfully in them to transform them more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. The triune God of peace and grace and love is working powerfully in them through his new covenant in Jesus Christ, transforming them to be the beginning of his new creation on the earth, a community of light and love and life in a world of darkness. The last sentence of this letter, this prayer of Paul for the church in Corinth, is probably one of the better known quotes of Paul in the New Testament. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. This is a, a, a verse that's used by pastors at the end of a service for a blessing. It's used by theologians as one of the strongest and easiest, uh, um, what do you call them, proof texts for the Trinity, the doctrine of the Trinity. But when we, when we come to, to see this verse, I mean, this verse is beautiful all by itself. We could just read this verse and sort of let the words wash over us and, and just sort of sit in them and be happy. But when we, when we see that this verse is the end of what Paul has to say to the Corinthians, it takes on a whole new level of meaning. This is what Paul writes to the church in Corinth. This is how Paul ends his letter to the church in Corinth. This letter where Paul pours out his heart for the church. This letter where Paul so vigorously defends the power of the gospel. Paul's prayer here at the end of this letter is the culmination of everything that he's been saying to the Corinthians throughout this letter. After everything that's come before, after Paul's traveling and wandering and worrying and hoping and praying, after Paul's encouragement to the church there to extend forgiveness to the sinner and to put their trust in the power of the gospel to transform people's lives, after Paul's critique of the super apostles for relying on worldly standards of success and eloquence and spirituality and authority, after all that, Paul's prayer for the Corinthian church is this. 
May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and may the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. This is Paul's prayer for the church that he loves, that they would come to know the powerful grace, love, and fellowship of the triune God of peace, that this would be their defining quality, the very foundation of their identity. The grace, love, and fellowship of the triune God himself. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. John Calvin says that in this single verse, the whole mystery of God and salvation is revealed. These words are so beautiful, so meaningful, so moving that it's easy to let them wash over us without really thinking about what it is that they say and mean. But it's worth pausing here and taking some time to reflect, to meditate on these closing words of Paul. Because this little prayer that Paul offers on behalf of the church that he loves so much sums up so much of what being a Christian is about, fixing our minds firmly on the God who we know through the work of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit in our lives. Grace, love, and fellowship. That's what Paul leaves the church with here at the close of his letter. Grace, love, and fellowship rooted in the triune nature of the one true God. Paul begins with grace. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this, of course, is where the Christian life begins. It all begins with grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And after hearing the story of the church in Corinth, we realize just how transformative this grace is. When we see the story of how the church in Corinth goes from being this this sort of rabble of idol worshipers and sexually immoral people into this church that Paul loves so dearly, we see just how transformative God's grace is. The whole reason that we are what we are is because the God who made the heavens and the earth came down to us out of sheer grace so that we could be called his people. And this is the great truth of the gospel that Paul's been pointing to throughout this letter. Paul has been pointing away from himself and to the power of the gospel. And Paul doesn't just see the grace of God in what it is that God does for us in Jesus. Paul also sees God's grace in the ways that God works in us and through us. Like when he sees God's grace working through the generosity of the Christians in Macedonia in chapter 8, or when he sees God's grace working through a sinner who's come to repentance in chapter 2, or when he sees God's grace working in people's lives to transform them by the Spirit into pictures of his new creation in chapter 3, we shouldn't be surprised, Paul says, 
when we see that people become generous and selfless and caring when they've been transformed by grace because that's how God's grace works. It transforms people to be like Christ who gave up everything for the sake of those he loved. And that's what undergirds this grace, what sort of lies behind it and underneath it, supporting it and holding it up. Love. The active, powerful love of God. At the beginning of this year, we spent a full six months in the evening services walking through uh, 1 Corinthians 13, Paul's famous love poem. Love is patient, love is kind, it doesn't envy or boast, all that. that. And that's also written to the Corinthians. That's what he writes in 1 Corinthians. And here Paul's talking about the same thing, this powerful, active, transforming love of God In the Bible, God's love isn't just one aspect of his character. It's the core of his being, the very center of who he is. In the Bible, it's not that God loves. God is love. This is the very core of his being, the very essence of who he is. God is love. And just like grace... Paul sees God's love revealed, not just in what it is that God has done for us, but what God is doing in us and through us. This is the whole point of 1 Corinthians 13, that the power that allows us to be patient and kind, to not be jealous or boastful or prideful or rude, the power that allows us to put others first and to control our temper and to forgive, the power that helps us to persevere through the trials of life, this power is the love of God at work in us and through us. And Paul sees it in the Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians too. He sees God's love in the willingness of the Corinthians to reconcile with him. He sees God's love in the hospitality that they've shown to Titus. He sees God's love in their desire to give to the church in Jerusalem. And this too, Paul says, shouldn't be a surprise. Because when people are transformed by the love of God, they themselves begin to love unconditionally. They become people who love with God's love. And this brings us to the last of the three, to fellowship. The fellowship of the Holy Spirit, this beautiful Greek word, koinonia. Koinonia is a word that's used throughout the New Testament to refer to the church's unity in Christ, and it has this whole range of meaning, and and you see it translated in different places throughout the New Testament. Participation, unity, communion, community, fellowship, sharing, contribution, all these words of intimacy and unity and sharing. The New Testament uses the word koinonia in 12 different places, and the first of these is in Acts 2, verse 42, where Luke tells us that the earliest Christians devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to koinonia, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And this is the same word that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 10 when he's talking about communion, and he says, the bread which we break, is it not a sharing, a koinonia in the body of Christ. And the wine for which we give thanks, is it not a koinonia, a sharing, a participation in the blood of Christ? 
Throughout the New Testament, we're told that the people transformed by God's grace and held firmly in his love are united to Christ through the Holy Spirit. And because of that, we are united to one another in this unbreakable bond. What Paul is saying here is that the people who are possessed by the love of God, the people who have the grace of King Jesus filling them up and overflowing out of them, are joined together to form a family. To form a family the likes of which the world has never seen. A family not based on flesh and blood or ethnicity or genetic propagation, but one formed by the true God who is love. This family shares a common life, a life united in Christ, held together by the love of God, animated and revived by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what koinonia is, this fellowship, this sharing, this partnership, this participation, this communion, this community that finds its identity, its character, its center in the love of the triune God. But it's precisely this koinonia, this fellowship, this this community that's been at stake throughout this letter. Paul and the church in Corinth have been at odds with one another. They've been in conflict. And throughout the struggle, throughout the visits and letters and rumors and gossip and reports and sorrow and joy and despair and hope, throughout all of these things, the fellowship that Paul shares with the Corinthians in the Holy Spirit has been threatened. As we've been reading throughout this letter, maybe you've been wondering, why doesn't Paul just move on? Why doesn't Paul just wash his hands of this troublesome church and go somewhere else? It seems like there's plenty of other churches in the Mediterranean world. Why does Paul stick it out with this troublesome, hypocritical, dysfunctional, worldly church? But here we see the answer. It's because Paul believes with all his heart that the same spirit that's at work in him, the same spirit that's at work in the churches of Macedonia and Ephesus and Jerusalem, that same spirit is at work in the church in Corinth. They're united together by this unbreakable bond, joined together in a single family, the family of God, and so Paul has to work things out with them. Paul has to allow koinonia to happen, however slowly that may be, because he knows that in Christ they are his brothers and sisters, they are his family. And that's what we've seen throughout this letter. That's almost what you could say this whole letter is about, about the slow, steady work of the Holy Spirit in building koinonia, the slow, steady work of the Holy Spirit in building people together, building them up into the body of Christ, into the temple of God, into the people marked by God's covenant. It's a beautiful but realistic picture of the ministry of reconciliation, a picture of koinonia. And so Paul, in this last verse, gives us a sort of picture of the Christian life. But that's not all that he does. Paul doesn't just give us a picture of the Christian life. He also gives us a picture of the Christian God. The God of grace. The God of love. 
the God of fellowship, of koinonia. What Paul shows us here is that the God who we worship is a picture of this fellowship, a picture of love, because God himself exists in community as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Even though Paul uses the word God here to refer to God the Father, which was a pretty common thing in the New Testament and in the early church, it should be obvious to us here that Paul here is giving us a picture of the one true God, the God of grace, from whom these blessings of grace, love, and fellowship flow. The one God, who even in the earliest Christian writings is understood as three persons, It wouldn't be until a hundred years later that Christian theologians started to come up with terms like the Trinity to describe this mystery of who God is. And if those theologians hadn't come up with the term, we'd be sitting here racking our brains to try and come up with a word to describe what Paul is, is showing us here. The God who we worship, Paul says, who has revealed himself to us through the work of Jesus Christ and the transformation of our lives through the Holy Spirit, who has revealed himself as our Father, is in and of himself a picture of the grace, the love, and the fellowship that he blesses us with. In God's very nature, Paul says, we begin to understand the mystery of what it is that binds us together as the children of God, what unites us as members of his body, what draws us together as members of his family. God is love. In the mystery of the Trinity, we see a picture of what it is that God intends for his community, for his people. To live as one, united and held fast by the bonds of grace and love and fellowship, allowing the power of that divine mystery to be worked out in our life together. It's a picture of the mystery of who God is. That's what the church is. The church is a picture of the mystery of who God is. All peoples of the earth gathered together from the far corners of the world, united into one body, one family, transformed by grace, held in love, living in fellowship, the inner life of the triune God lived out on earth. This is what Paul's been saying all the way through this letter to the Corinthians. When we come to know the one true God through the person of Jesus Christ, when we're filled with the power of the living God through the Holy Spirit, we are transformed to reflect the very nature of who God is. The change of heart, mind, behavior, and community is so thorough and so complete that it's almost scary. And so we look at what Paul says in verses 11 and, verses 11 and 12. Uh, and the, the NIV kind of makes it sound like awkward, right? Like, finally, brothers, goodbye. Goodbye. But the, the, the Greek word there, the Greek word that's translated goodbye is the word rejoice. And, and it's a word that, that uh, Greeks would use and, and even still use to say hello and goodbye to each other. And so the NIV is saying, you know, Paul, well, Paul's saying goodbye now. And, and he certainly is, but he's also saying rejoice. 
rejoice. And it comes in this long list, or not really long, but this list of like these one-word commands in the Greek, just one right after another. And it, it sort of goes like this. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Be perfect. Obey. Agree. Live in peace. But live in peace is one word, right? All those things. Boom, 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 boom. And the love of God, and the God of love and of peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints send their greetings. And these things that Paul says here, they, they, they're difficult. They're difficult things. I, I lost my place a little bit. I got too excited. The things that Paul encourages the Christians to do here in verses 11 and 12 are hard to do. Aim for perfection. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Even the people who you don't like very much. Be completely obedient. Even in the things that you don't like to do so much. Live in peace. Even with your enemies. These things are difficult things to do. But Paul doesn't present them as options for the church in Corinth. Because Paul says that this is the power that God has given you. This is the reality of the mysterious life of God working out through you. The God who created light out of darkness has given us this treasure in jars of clay. We may look weak, but God is working powerfully in us and through us to bring about his new creation on the earth, to create a picture, even here, even now, of what heaven will look like. And so these things might seem difficult and impossible even. But the power of God works slowly but surely to accomplish what it's begun. To transform his people more and more into the image and likeness of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Making us into an image of God here on the earth. So this is where Paul ends with a prayer for the manifold blessing of the triune God to be poured out into the lives of the Christians living in Corinth, to be lived out in the life of the church, with a prayer that the mysterious life of God would be worked out in our lives. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said. Amen. O Lord our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for the testimony the Corinthian church. We thank you for the witness of your faithful servant and apostle Paul. We thank you for the ways that through their story you have taught us about our story. We thank you that through Paul's letter to the Corinthians you have shown us what it means to live as your people, to live as your community, to live as a people transformed by your grace and by your love, and by your fellowship, to reflect the life that you share within yourself. 
Lord, we pray that you would pour out these blessings on us, these blessings of love and grace and fellowship, that you would fill us with the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you would transform us by the love of God, that you would bind us together in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit so that we may be a light in the darkness of this world, shining the goodness of your grace and love and fellowship into a world that is so dark. Lord, we pray that you would work in us, weak as we are, to demonstrate your power on the earth, the power to heal, the power to forgive, the power to love, the power to make alive. All of these things we pray in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, who reigns together with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.